Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Hey, welcome to all of you today. Welcome to our friends joining us online. We're so glad that you are. You know, this morning, our, the worship rehearsal was an absolute catastrophe. And I love it because whenever we come to this subject as a church, there is always catastrophe. The Wapiti River flooded this week. Yep, I was cut off from the city for hours. And, um, and what else? Uh, my guitar mysteriously broke. I tried three other guitars this morning and still was not able to get things figured out the way we normally would. And it is because of the title of today's message. We're in the series, Worship, and part two of the series is simply called Warfare. Worship is warfare. And if you don't know that, I'm sorry that you don't know that. We need to chat. Um, if, you, if you're unaware of what happens in churches every time we talk about things like this, it is, it is no surprise to me at all that we had technical difficulties today, that we had technical difficulties throughout the week, because there is something that the church possesses in its created identity, as you see, that is designed to take down the gates of hell. And because it is our commission and our call to go up against the gates of hell and see that they do not prevail, to see that the kingdom of this world, that the prince of this world, that the principalities of the powers of the air do not succeed in the world, the church has been called to a very specific thing, and we're going to talk about it this morning. So those of us who are familiar, maybe because you've been involved in the culture of our church for long enough, this might be obvious to you, that there is more to worship than merely singing. There's more to worship than playing good songs. There's more to worship than listening to a CD. There's more than worship to doing acts of service. And it's important that we understand the aspects of warfare that are involved in so many cases of our lives and the people around us. Now listen, from the carnal perspective, we're going to establish uh, our line of thinking this morning this way. From the, from the carnal, from the temporal, from the earthly perspective... We know that warfare and music have a long history together, don't we? So this should not be too strange to us. The Scots, the Scottish men and women of the Highlands, faced the British and their kings with spears, swords, and the pipes. Music. The pipes were a part of their warfare. The Brits and many other forces as well marched with drums and flutes. How's that for manly? Well, that was mostly just air. Drums and flutes and horns. And probably every kingdom throughout history has actually utilized music, percussion, voices, as a part of their warfare. And I want us to remember this historically because from the temporal perspective, we understand in the historical context that music, that, that the raising of voices has always been a significant factor in warfare, in the issues of men, in the issues of nations, in political issues, in social issues. Warfare is loud. Warfare has a verbal component. It has a participatory component in it. Military forces, even today, still have musical regiments 
involved throughout our own Canadian military, throughout our core of RCMP. There are musical regiments that exist for the purposes of morale, national pride, and, um, and, and so here's a little history, if you'll permit it, because something has changed. So the sounds of music and shouting, again, from the carnal, the temporal, the, the human perspective, have been a part of warfare for all history because of this one fact. Arrows and javelins don't make a lot of noise. I don't know if you know that or not. But arrows and javelins don't make a lot of noise. They just kind of fly silently and do their job. And in history, we can see that that was frightening for the enemy, for instance. Especially at nighttime, if you can't hear uh, the arrows coming, and all of a sudden everybody's getting pounded with arrows, it's a frightening thing to wake up to, I'm sure. But there's no shaking in the boots because of arrows unless you see them. But there's something profound that we see historically in warfare. And that is when a mass of troops assemble together and they line up row to row, they line up in their regiments, and then it's about who can make the most noise. And I know that we kind of look back on this, and maybe you have a smirk on your face this morning, but I want you to understand this link. There was no joke involved. There was no joke involved at all when it came to trying to intimidate the enemy forces with the sound you could make. Why? Because that sound had the great potential to save lives. You see, if you could intimidate with your pipes, with your drums, with your marching formation, with the unified shout of your voices and with your song, if you could intimidate the other troops from their part of the field, you would not suffer the casualties you might have. The raising of voices on the battlefield throughout history has literally saved thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of lives. It is a part of history that we would do well today to remember, that we would do well to consider in its application to our spiritual life. You see, with the introduction of firearms, music begins to fade from the battlefield. The need for drums, the need for, uh, for pipes and horns were replaced by boom. Not just guns, but big guns. And the bigger the guns, the farther the range, the more intimidating the opposition. The, the sounds of horns and the sounds of shouts across the battlefield have changed. They've been replaced by electric radios. And so while the battlefield on the earth might look a little different today, the battlefield in the spiritual realm has not changed. Because I don't know if you realize this, but there are no spiritual AK-47s. In fact, historically, you should note this, that when the American forces were being pinned down and losing the battle in places like Vietnam, the most refreshing sound they would hear would be the sound of their own rifles firing. And they could, they could distinguish very clearly, even in the Second World War, men at war could distinguish the sound of two different types of rifle, and they would know by the sound who was on their side. That's how profoundly powerful... A noise is when your life is on the line. When your life is on the line. Now, some of you are already surely jumping ahead and understanding where we're going with this. Even though this has changed in the spiritual realm, very little has changed since the beginning. The battlefield has not changed much at all. Although we see differences in the temporal realm, in the earthly realm, in the spiritual realm, very little has changed in terms of warfare. And I share this with you only to help today with our understanding of how all this needs to work 
in our spirit, but also in our flesh in this world that is spirit. You see, in the spiritual realm, warfare exists. And whether or not you acknowledge it will make a huge difference in your life. Whether or not you can get your head around the fact that right now, angels and demons war with one another. Right now, that the enemy is on the run because the church has gathered across the face of the earth. That every time a prayer meeting gathers and prayers are offered and songs and hymns and spiritual songs are exchanged, exchanged, the body of Christ, his church, is activated, empowered, exhorted, and encouraged to take ground that the enemy has tried to claim as his own. You see, worship is warfare, and it is a high calling of the church to be warriors in the spirit. Now, if you need a little proof of this, let me throw a couple verses at you this morning. My lovely helper back there is going to throw them up on the screen. Let's start with 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. Everyone say war. We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now let me just give you a little bit of context here for why you will never win someone to Jesus arguing on the internet. When you try to argue with people on the internet about the reality of Jesus Christ, you are not speaking to them at the level of the Spirit. You're speaking to them only at the level of the flesh. And here's the problem. It is easy for flesh to resist the flesh. But I want to tell you a little secret. The flesh has a very hard time resisting the spirit. And when you take your conversation and build it into a relationship that allows the spirit to be engaged with other people, you will find that the God of angel armies will speak to you and you will be able to speak to the ear of someone who needs Jesus and you will begin to see change affect their life. Why? Because you are no longer trying to go through the temporal gate, but you have gone around it by the Holy Spirit, and now we're letting the Holy Spirit speak through you to an area of a person's heart where they are susceptible to the truth. Now this is important to understand, because if we try to face people head on the way so many argumentative minds do, we will always be met with frustration and success, and quite frankly, you will lose the platform of relationship in that person's life. If you don't have a platform, please close your mouth. If you're going to abuse your platform, by all means, take a seat. Because relationship is the means by which God reconciled creation to himself. And so we need to pay attention when it comes to spiritual warfare and the realities it has in relationship with people. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not temporal. They are not human. But they are divine for the pulling down of stronghold, casting aside arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Oftentimes as a younger person, I would read that verse, casting down arguments. And my understanding was that meant so I should argue with someone. Someone says, God does not exist. Well, I'm going to argue with you. It took a little while to understand that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal something different to us about that particular thing. Where does a thought come from? If I say to you, Gord, there is no God, where did that thought come from? Well, who can really know in technical terms, right? 
We all know, here's a scientific fact for you. Every thought you have is simply a chemical reaction in your head. How's that for simple? That's why Doritos can affect your mood. That's why, God bless them, pregnant women crave vinegar and sugar together at the same time. Pickles and ice cream. That's why we have weird dreams when we eat funny things, maybe. But every thought we have is simply a chemical reaction in our head. That's the science. But now let's talk about the spirit behind a thought. The spirit behind a thought is what? Well, there is a spiritual realm, and there are beings in that spiritual realm, and they introduce thoughts and concept into the minds and the hearts of men. And so when we understand this the right way, that we are casting down arguments raised against the knowledge of God. I am not trying to cast down the argument with my wife. Rather, I am dealing with the spiritual power or principality that is placing the idea in their head in the unseen realm. Because arguing with my wife will not make any of us happy. Ask me how I know. (laughs) Ask me if I've learned. I haven't. All right. And I want to bring that together for us. It's so important that we understand. Because when we understand what our weapons are for, and that they are in fact not argumentative for another person, but they are to argue with truth the way Jesus put the devil in his place while he wandered the wilderness. Are you with me? Using the arguments and, and bending the argument of the enemy in the spiritual realm to the truth of God. So that we can bring for ourselves and help others to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Warfare is real. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Be strong in the Lord, put on his armor, because you're in a fight. Warfare is real. It's all around us. And I submit to you today that worship is warfare. So the realm of warfare is around us. You can't argue it because I gave you two Bible verses, and that pretty much wins every discussion, right? I mean, one is one, but two is like, well, how do I argue with two? Um, The spiritual... Uh, the spiritual realm, also known as the unseen realm, also known as the heavenly places throughout the Bible, if you read it, um, is the place where acts of war are being committed against the church and the church against the powers of this world. Now notice, I'm not saying the church against the gay community, the church against this community or that community, the church against the secular community, the church against the university community. It's not the church against the world, it's the church against the powers and principalities of this world. And you got to keep this straight or you'll lose, you'll lose the platform of relationship in your life. There's this realm around us where there is constant battle, constant warfare taking place. And if you don't believe it, it's still okay, but not alive. You got you to talk to someone. We got to chat. We got to get this sorted out for you. The Bible claims that there's a spiritual realm. The Bible claims there's a spiritual realm. Don't argue with me. Argue with the Bible. The Bible claims there's a spiritual realm. You may or may not believe, but most of humanity does, even outside of the church. 
That's why Ghost Whisperer, that's why Paranormal Activity, that's why all those TV shows exist. Because men do two things. They either try to explain or ignore all the things that go bump in the night. That's the truth. There's only two things we do with the unexplainable things that we hear. The only un the unexplainable things that we see. We try to excuse them or ignore them. Or we can embrace them. Jesus believed in spiritual warfare. I don't, I don't know if you're aware. But Jesus believed in spiritual warfare. Jesus believed in and cast out demons literally. Well, but pastor, I just think that I think that's figurative. That, you know, like bondage is all like a metaphor. Yeah, bondage is a metaphor, all right. But demons are not metaphoric. Demons are real, and Jesus believed in them. By the way, those of you who have a hard time with Jonah and the whale, Jesus literally believed in Jonah and the whale. Like, he literally believed in that. Because the Bible said it. Jesus believed in the unseen realm. And ultimately, Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, moved in and out of those realities at will. After he was resurrected, he appeared in the room. He walked from one spiritual reality into a physical reality. I wonder what we'll be able to do one day in glorified heavenly bodies. Spiritual reality is all around us even though most of us don't see it. Now, I have friends who see in the spiritual realm often. It's not really a fun place sometimes, just so you know. But it is a good place where the presence of the Lord is. For those of you who only speak geek, I will quote from Lord of the Rings for you this morning. Open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. you got to wake up, church. If you don't realize every time you are tempted to sin that it is a spiritual act of war on your life, you are asleep. All those who fall asleep once in a while, raise your head. I fall asleep sometimes daily. All right? It's okay. But it's not. It's okay, but it's not. <laughs> I, wanna sp I, I can't spend a lot more time on this part of this today. Honestly, this could be a four-part series all by itself, easily. Because there's so much theology and scripture that speaks to the spiritual realities going on around us. But here is my one point for the message today. A one-point message. So easy. Just remember this for the sake of this series, please. Worship as warfare is about aligning ourselves with established spiritual authority. That, that's, what, that's what warfare in the spirit is about. And I'll just, I'll just give you, I'm going to go off script just for a second here. Here's the thing. The end of the Bible says that we win. The end of the Bible says that Jesus has all authority. The end of the Bible says that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says in the end that the church triumphs over darkness. That this is not a battle of God versus evil. Rather, it is a battle for the souls of men between those who follow Christ and those who do not. Worship as warfare is about aligning ourselves with established spiritual authority. 
Whose side are you on? Who are you with? Who are you fighting with? What are you fighting for? You see, the act of worship is not only singing and praising. It is also literally doing what Jesus said. I don't know. I wish I would have thought of this before to post a meme that I came across a while back where it's a cartoon Jesus sitting with a guy. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And the guy's like, on Twitter? And Jesus is like, no. And he's like, on, on, on Facebook? And then Jesus says something brilliant in this little cartoon. He says, okay, I'm going to start from the beginning. You let me know where I lose you. I, I just, I wish I would have remembered to put that up there. Maybe we'll put it, we'll repost it on whatever media form I posted that on once upon a time. <laughs> Jesus says, come and follow me. And we'd be like, Twitter? I, I've been looking. Jesus didn't tweet. I've been looking for Jesus' latest post on Instagram. I didn't find it. Jesus on Facebook? I don't see him. He won't answer my friend request. Jesus is going, no, guys, follow me. Let me know where I lose you. I'm going to start from the beginning, please. Come and follow me. Who are you aligned with? Where do your allegiances lie? Who do you serve? You see, worship without service is empty noise. And service without worship is just bad religion. See, because the act of worship is not only singing and praising, it is actually doing what Jesus said to do. But simply obeying what Jesus said to do without giving him the praise, honor, glory that he deserves is just bad religion. It's just a good deed that doesn't save your soul. So we got to say it this way. Worship without service is empty noise, and service without worship is just bad religion. One of my favorite stories, and I know I say that like every Sunday. Oh, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. If you haven't figured it out by now, I actually like the whole Bible. From one end to the other, I I like it all because no matter how angry you think God might be, he is working to redeem those that he loves. No matter how bad you think human beings might be for all their wickedness, God loves them enough that he's going to work it all together for them anyways. I love the whole Bible from the front to the back. And I love the living word of God as much as the written word. But this is the story of Jehoshaphat. Everyone say Jehoshaphat. Now, there are some scholars who say Jehoshaphat. That is wrong. If you're going to pronounce it right, I don't care if this is right or not, but this is how we pronounce it at our church, Jehoshaphat. Now, yeah, Ben, I heard that. Somebody, Brad Karpiak hit Ben. That's right. I'm not carnally warring against Ben. Brad is now. Um, let me read to you 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting in verse 3. Jehoshaphat. Everyone say Jehoshaphat. It's the coolest name in the Bible next to Jesus. Oh, no, there's Habakkuk. That's kind of cool, too. Or Habakkuk, for those of you boring people. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. You see, he was afraid because the Ammonites and the Moabites were coming for them to wipe them out. He turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even 
They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, so no one can stand against you. Did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or the pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear us and deliver us. So Jehoshaphat had a church service. He assembled the people together, and everybody came. I'm just kidding. Some of you at home have legitimate reasons to be at home, and that's totally fine. But if you don't have a legitimate reason to be at home, and you're skipping church, it's not good. All right. We're going to jump over to verse 13. This is a big deal. Ammonites, Moabites, vastly outnumbering the residents of Judah. They're going to be killed, probably raped, pillaged, and sold into slavery. It's a bad day for Judah. Jehoshaphat calls a nationwide prayer meeting. Everybody comes to church. Everybody does what we read next. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Mattaniah, the Levite of the son of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the king and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Why? Because people don't wrestle against people in God's economy. Can I say that again? Because only Melina got it. You see, people aren't supposed to wrestle against people in God's economy. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go up against them. But I just thought you said it was your battle, Lord. Listen, just time out for a second. Obedience to God will always be necessary for you to see a victory. Okay, my wife, my wife got it. Nobody else did. Obedience to God will always be necessary for you to see a victory in your life. God can't bless who you pretend to be. God certainly doesn't bless sin. And God also cannot act on your disobedience. When God says, I want you to do A, B, and C, it is in our very best interest because we are the center of his heart, the apple of his eye, and he has told us to do A, B, or C because he has deemed it best for us to do it. And so we will never see the victory without being obedient to what God has told us to do. Obedience will always be better than sacrifice. In fact, obedience is the greatest sacrifice you will ever make. Well, that's good. That would preach all by itself, wouldn't it? Tomorrow I'll go down against them. Yeah, I'd be that guy that the Lord, you just said, you literally just said, God, it's not our battle, it's yours. 
God says, tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will, not Zaz, just Ziz. You will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel, and you will, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Okay, that sounds more like what you said, God, that it's your battle, not ours. So you're just, just to clarify, you're just asking us to go for a walk? Yes, child, I'm asking you to do what I say. See, we love to try to corner God in a way that allows us to predict our outcome. And God, for some reason, doesn't appear to like doing it that way. So my friend, we have two options. Either continue to toil and struggle and be frustrated, or bend your will to Jesus and get on with it. You'll never see the victory without obedience. You need not fight in the battle. Station yourselves and see. Um, station yourselves and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. So Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Everyone say, worshiping the Lord. Now remember the title of the message today is "Worship is Warfare." They fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. Everyone say, very loud voice. A little bit louder, very loud voice. Come on, kids. You know, hey, kids, I'm going to just destroy you for a moment. I woke up this morning and my computer told me some sad news. It said today was the day we were supposed to pack up and get ready to head out to Bible camp. Oh. I'm sorry to tell you that, but check out the rest of this story. They rose up early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness. Take me out to Bible camp. They went out to the wilderness. Sometimes you wonder, why do churches do things like Bible camps? It's because God does cool things in the wilderness. He, he does. They went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Man, this would preach too all by itself, wouldn't it? Put your trust in his prophets, and you will succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now note, there are two kinds of worshipers. There are those who sing and those who praise. Now, I say this for the benefit of those who praise. It's okay if you don't sing like an angel, as long as you praise. And, and, and singers, you should never be outdone by someone who can't sing when it comes to giving Jesus the glory. You see, what I did here is created an awkward competition between the sons and daughters of Jesus so that we are literally in competition with each other to try and praise him more. I'm just kidding. You shouldn't do that. We're supposed to like worship like nobody's watching and that kind of a thing. 
All right? But I'm just saying, there's no way I'm going to let Johan outsing me when it comes to appraising Jesus. And Johan probably is not that willing to let me try to outsing him because I happen to know he's passionate about it. Now, check this out. So he tells them, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy each other. I'm sad that I'm the only person who thinks that's amazing. What, what would this be like in like our world? It'd be like watching the Calgary Flames play hockey. That's, that's what it would be like. <laughs> or the Oilers, let's face it. Oh, hockey. They, they destroyed themselves. You can't even blame God for being mean in this case. Just as God set ambushes against them, and what they chose to do with the ambush that God set against them was kill each other. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked down toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. I don't know if you realize how interesting that is, that no one had escaped. You see, when God does victory... He doesn't do small victory. He doesn't do victory in part. He doesn't deal with your sin in part. God, God really does nothing in part. God does things in whole. God does things with a certain level of completion. God does things with a certain level of perfection that is unattainable in us. God does something complete, guys. He completely, completely routed and destroyed the enemy. Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil. They found much among them, including goods, garments, valuable things which they took for themselves, more than they could carry, and it took them three days to pick up the spoil because there was so much. Why? Why did this happen? Because when the army got up that morning, Jehoshaphat said, here's what we're going to do. Nobody's going to pick up a sword today. You are just going to start worshiping God. You're just going to worship God. And we're going to see what God does with that. Church, I want you to know so desperately this morning that worship is warfare. Every time we sing, whether you're by yourself or whether you're at church, every time you lift your voice, every time you act in obedience and when you give praise to God, because it's not one or the other, it's always both and acting in service and obedience to God and giving him the praise that he deserves. That is the full expression of spirit and in truth, worship. You see, worship is warfare and things change when we worship. Mountains move when we act in obedience. When we serve, heaven responds. Pastor Trav, I just don't really feel like serving anymore, so I'm going to quit. Now, I understand that we have to pull back from things for seasons of rest and Commitments change, jobs change, we have to move, all those things happen. But can I just remind you this morning that as much as worship is warfare, our acts of service to one another in the church and in our community actually change things in the heavenly realm. 
It actually, it actually moves spiritual mountains, spiritual objects that are blocking people from knowing Jesus. You might think the guy standing at the door in our church is there out of some kind of duty, but I want to tell you this morning, the people who stand at the door of Generations Church are there because they are worshipers in a true sense. Because it's not just about singing a song, it's about putting their physical hand to an obedient act of service in the kingdom of God. And because of that, people's lives are changed. When we serve, heaven responds, and when we make a sacrifice of praise, the presence of God will always appear in its glory, in his glory. And you can feel it, and you can even, you, you can almost taste it when the presence of God flows into your space. It's tangible. Praise, prayer, and worship simply cannot be divided. They are far too closely connected. You see, worship revealed King Saul of his spiritual oppressive. The, 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 the shouts of Israel lifted to God brought the walls of Jericho down. In the New Testament, prison walls shook as Paul and Silas praised the Lord. And through the book of Revelation, what you see again, time and again, is there is worship in heaven and then there is a response in the earth. There's worship in heaven, and there's a response in the earth. And it's almost like this, this sense of breathing in and breathing out. And in fact, Louis Giglio says it this way, that worship is the act of giving God his breath back. And I really, I really feel that that's an appropriate way to understand it for our time right now. God breathes into us the ruah, the living breath of God, the wind of God is blown into us through the word, through the ministry of preaching, through reading, and through being devoted to it. God breathes in, and when we offer praise, a sacrifice of praise to him, when we worship in spirit and in truth, it's like we are giving God his breath back. It's a reciprocation between heaven and earth. God breathes us on us his life, his grace, his provision, his protection, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, so many more things. And we bow, and when we stand, and when we kneel, and when we lift our hands, we worship with our breath. And spiritually, what we are doing is we're giving him back the ruah because it's his breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. It's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out my praise to you only. When we are worshiping in spirit and truth as he is seeking, we are aligning ourselves with the kingdom of heaven. And I got to tell you, I don't know any other way to be aligned with the kingdom of heaven. I, I don't know any other way. Other than to worship, to call in the name of the Lord, to do the things that he says to do. Because when we assemble, when we gather as he commanded, He comes. And when we come and when we dwell together in unity and we focus on what's important, we focus on the one true living God, when we give him the honor and glory he deserves, when we respond to one another in obedience to him in our lives, he walks into the room and things begin to change all around us. Depression has to leave. 
Fear has to take off. Sickness begins to bow. Dead things come alive. See, because there's a reciprocation happening. As we breathe our worship to heaven, heaven breathes back down on us. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. When we gather together and we do what we do this morning, we, we hear his word. We exhort one another. We encourage one another. We come together with songs, hymns and spiritual songs. We come to exalt his name, to lift each other up. When we do what he commands, he always commands a blessing. I think that sometimes when we come to church, we fail to think about what is really going on around us. I think that, let me say it this way, I fear that we can so easily become people who come to church thinking that it's about us. And it can be about you. And there's times where it absolutely should be about you. But who is it really about when we come to church? Well, well, it's about the one who saved us. It's about Jesus and what he's going to do for the person standing beside me. You see, in the wonderful picture of how this works is when the person standing beside you has come to church for the right reasons, come to give Jesus the honor that he deserves, comes to be used as a vessel, as, a, as, a, as an obedient servant in the house of God, guess what? Your needs are going to be met because everyone else is going to be lifting you up and focusing on what Jesus wants to do with you. I think we think about that the least some Sundays. And it makes it easy to stay away. It makes it easy to rush out the back door. It makes it easy to run away. When all Jesus wants to do is come and fellowship with us. At church, yes. But then in the afternoon and at your dinner table and wherever else you go throughout the week. In these moments and in this part of the service now as we invite you and others to you at home, everywhere, to worship God with us, I want you to know that we are actively pushing back against the powers of wickedness in heavenly places. When we sing and we lift, we exalt the name of Jesus, we magnify the Lord. All these words you hear in worship songs, all these words you read in the Scripture, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Make Him big and lift him up because he alone is the one who can save us. He's the lo alone the one who can solve our problem. He's the only one who can give us what we need. I want you to know that there are Sunday mornings that because of the church, I don't know if we could ever comprehend how much wickedness is held back from this city. Because of the believers who gather in the name of Jesus in this city, can you understand this? That there is a wall of oppression, there is a wall of satanic activity, demonic activity, wicked, evil activity that would like to run right over top of this speck of dirt on the earth. 
But Jesus has decided in his infinite wisdom to put a people in this place who are anointed as kings and priests in his kingdom, who he has given authority to, to trample over serpents, to walk on demons, to walk in a way that brings life to the neighbors that are around them because of our ability to exalt God, to lift him up into worship. When we gather in the name of Jesus, we are not just gathering, but we are holding back a wall of oppression that wants to run over and steal and kill and destroy in every home in our city. Worship is warfare. And when we worship on our own, I want you to know it's really good. You should worship on your own. And you should do things in obedience to God that no one else sees. For sure, those are good things. But that's good for you. But what we do corporately is not... See, what I do corporately for our church is of little benefit to me personally. Just ask my wife because I'm tired on Sundays after church. I'm useless for a while, in fact. So, So it does very little for me, but it does something good for you. And that's how this is supposed to work. Jesus poured himself out completely as a ransom for many. And in a like way, we are supposed to pour ourselves out for those around us. I'm done. (sighs) Modern warfare may not need singing or drums or flutes or percussion because they got guns. To make their noise. But spiritual warfare ain't got no guns. It just has saints. Those who sing, those who praise, those who worship in song, but also in obedience. Church, we got to step it up. We, we need the big guns of worship to come out. In our city, in this day where an entire city, an entire continent is bowed in fear to a virus. I'm not saying we don't take things seriously. I'm just saying those who follow Jesus do not have a spirit of fear. And if you are, if you're struggling with a spirit of fear, I know a way. We're going to talk about it next week because worship is not only warfare, worship is also a bondage breaker. And I can't wait for that. Father, I just pray now as we turn our attention to you to sing once again and to lift a song of praise to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, that you would make it a sweet sound in the ears of our Creator. Lord, that the the warriors of the church, the voices of the children of God, would become loud and impassioned and filled with boldness in this moment. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We glorify you. We exalt your name. We extol you, God. You alone deserve the glory, the honor, and the praise. All power belongs to you, God. You are holy, holy, holy. And while we are unworthy, you alone are worthy, God. You alone are worthy. You alone are faithful. You alone are true. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.